The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. According to a new Barner survey, the pulpits of America are more compromised than we might have realized. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. I've said it for many years, many years, that a major reason that America is so messed up is that so much of the church of America is so messed up. And a major reason that so much of the church of America is so messed up is that so many of the leaders of the church are so messed up. Welcome to the line of fire. This is Michael Brown serving as your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity, infusing you, each and every one of you, with faith and truth and courage to help you stand strong in the Lord. Here's number to call. Anything you want to talk to me about, we'll open the phone lines, 866-348-7884. That's 866-34-TRUTH. But in particular, I'd like to hear from you. What kind of messages do you regularly hear from the pulpit? In the church in which you attend, are you hearing good, solid, biblically-based teaching? Are you being reinforced in foundations of how to live in this world? Are relevant issues in the culture being addressed, again, as relevant based on Scripture? Do you feel you're getting equipped? I, I don't want you to name churches or maybe denominations, but I don't want you to name specific churches. This way you can speak totally freely. I don't want you to name pastors' names. That's where you can speak totally freely, and I don't have to worry about you bad-mouthing somebody or something like that, all right? But I'd love to hear from you. If you feel, you, your family, that you're getting equipped, that you're hearing what you need to hear, that you're getting grounded in the Word, that you're getting grounded in a biblical worldview, meaning how to look at this world and how to believe based on what God says is true, I'd love to hear from you. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Okay, before I get to the Barner survey about the state of pastors and leaders in America today, I want to step back and say a few broader things. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5, beginning verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, right? And then in the next verses, you are the light of the world. And then in Matthew 6, in a different context, he says, if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Again, different context, but I want to, want to make that connection there, all right? So as I've said countless times, I'm on the road a lot, so I'm often checking into hotels at night, and I, I go in the hotel, it's nighttime, it's dark, first thing you do, there's always a light right by the door, first thing you do is you flip the light on. If nothing happens, I don't get mad at the darkness. I don't curse the darkness. I'm not angry with the darkness. I'm not faulting the darkness. The question is, what happened to the light? What's wrong with the light? Either it connects with the lamp and the switch is off, or a light is out, or the thing is not adequately lit. That's the issue. So I understand America is in moral and spiritual chaos. I understand America is in a point of time where we can even debate how to define a man or a woman. I understand that there is a lot of cultural rot and confusion, but I trace much of it, not all of it. I trace much of it back to the compromised state of much of the church, and I trace much of that back to the 
compromised preaching or living of leaders. All right. So as a leader in the body, I say us, that we together must reassess, reexamine, humble ourselves before God. If the leaders can get things right, it will have a positive effect on the body. If the body gets things right, it will have a positive effect on the nation. I don't mean that the whole nation will be saved. I don't mean that America will be a perfect Christian nation before Jesus returns. I don't believe any nation on the planet will. But I do believe that we can make a positive impact, that the light that we shine can push back the darkness. Now, let me go back to last year. Article in Christianity Daily, March 27th, 2021, said this. Only 6% of Americans believe biblical worldview Barner survey reveals. So George Barner, the leading Christian pollster. Now, he had been finding for years the numbers were 9, 10% of Americans, but here was even lower. According to a recent poll published by the Family Research Council, only 6% of Americans are holding on to and believing a biblical worldview. All right? Uh, many people think they do, but then when you dig deeper, you find out they don't. This is the populace as a whole. Um, When you dig down into some of the data, I'm looking at the Center for Biblical Worldview, perceptions about biblical worldview and its applications. This is a national survey from the Center for Biblical Worldview conducted by Barna Research Group. This is May of last year. Uh, Let me skip down to some of the key findings. 51% of adults, American adults, claim to have a biblical worldview. However, extensive testing through the American worldview inventory indicates that just 6% of the adult population actually has one. And and when you break it down, the scary thing is that less than 20% of those who profess to be born-again Christians actually have a biblical worldview. Now, let me go over to an article from Barna. Again, this is all about, this goes back to March of 2009. Changes in worldview among Christians over the past 13 years. And here's how he defined his terms. This is back in 2009, because he's been doing these surveys for many, many years. This is how Barna defines having a biblical worldview. And, And they're obviously representative topics that are chosen that will really indicate whether someone lines up with biblical mentality on a wide range of subjects. So he says this, for the purposes of the survey, a biblical worldview was defined as believing that absolute moral truth exists. So that's the first thing. There is absolute moral truth. Truth is not subjective. Morality is not subjective. There is absolute moral truth. That's one. Two, The Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. So whatever the Bible intends to teach, it is completely accurate on that subject. Three, Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely symbolic. So that now filters its way down into many other concepts. Four, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or doing good works. Five, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. Six, God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Now, you could have picked some other things and made them part of a biblical worldview, but these are quite 
minimal. This is really quite bottom line. And yet Barna said only 6% of Americans as of last year held to a biblical worldview. Okay, now here's, here's where it gets scary. Here's where it gets scary. It came out earlier this month, early of May 2022. Arizona Christian University participated in this. You ready? New study shows shocking lack of biblical worldview among American pastors. Among American pastors. <clears throat> yeah, so let's look at this. Barna added, I believe, two more categories to get to eight in the worldview. A new nationwide survey of America's Christian pastors shows that a majority of pastors lack a biblical worldview. In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37%, possess a biblical worldview, and the majority, 62%, hold a hybrid worldview known as syncretism, where you mix a little of this and a little with that. These shocking findings are part of the American Worldview Inventory 2022, conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, administered to Christian pastors to better understand the worldviews that drive their thinking and behavior. Now, we understand that there are liberal pastors who don't believe the Bible is God's word, they don't believe Jesus literally rose from the dead. They don't believe Jesus is the only way to God, etc. We understand that. And, and that's no surprise that many of them would fit in these categories. It's a, it, it is a surprise, though, that you have others that you would think are Bible-believing or evangelical or born again, and they're obviously included in these numbers as well. And, and, and some remain very low. Now, interestingly, senior pastors, it was like 60% held to biblical worldview. But executive pastors, it was just a couple of percent. You think, what? How could that be? But again, just going on the survey data. It, what that would indicate would be that you have people in charge of hiring, firing, running the church, who are more business people than pastoral people, business people than Bible people. Thank God for the fine executive pastors that are out there. Thank God for the army, the spiritual army of fine pastors and leaders. Thank God, thank God, thank God. But you have to realize there's a lot more compromise going on. And that's why so much of the church is compromised and the society is as confused as it is. Just a little bit more on this survey. Uh, the Cultural Research Center issued this <clears throat> People have many expectations of pastors of Christian churches. One of those expectations is that pastors possess a philosophy of life that largely reflects biblical principles, a perspective commonly called a biblical worldview. But a new nationwide survey among a representative sample of America's Christian pastors showed that a large majority of those pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37% of a biblical worldview in the majority 62% possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. Among all Christian pastors in the United States, slightly more than one out of every three possesses a biblical worldview. The proportion varies by the pastoral position held. Among senior pastors, four out of 10, sorry, I think I said 60%, but four out of 10, 41% have a biblical worldview. The highest incidence among any of the five pastoral positions studied. Next highest was the 28% among associate pastors, Less than half as many as teaching pastors, 30, 13%, and children's and youth pastors, 12%, have a biblical worldview? What? I'm putting a question mark on it, but that's a statement here. 
the lowest level of biblical worldview is among executive pastors. Only 4% have consistently biblical beliefs and behaviors. Uh, how on earth can that be? Thank God for the fine churches out there. But it appears, based on the survey, there's even more compromise, even more watering down of the gospel than we may have realized. All right, what are you hearing? What are you being impacted by? What kind of messages are being preached in your churches? Again, when you call, don't say, I go to this, this church, this pastor. Even if you've got a great report, I want everyone to be able to speak freely without us worrying about misrepresenting someone's position or being unfair. I'm getting your perspective. 866-348-7884. We go to the phones. We come back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Are you getting my emails? You say you ask every day. Yeah, because not everyone listens every day, and not everyone acts on what they hear every day. And I want to remind you, we're here to serve you. We're here to equip you. We're here to build you up. We're here to give you edifying facts, information, truth based on the word. Look, many of you know I've been on the front lines of the culture wars for 20 plus years. I have been a target, hated for the stands that I've taken. Of course, that comes with the territory. So be it. It's, it's a badge of honor. But we, I've been called to get into a lot of weeds and difficult areas that most are not called to get into. The same with answering Jewish objections to Jesus. I spent decades involved with that to produce really good material to help equip others to to reach out to the Jewish people with the good news. So let us help you. We'll do the research. We'll put the resources together and then equip you in the midst of your busy life. Pastors, leaders, moms, dads, single people, students, let us equip you. So go to the website, ask drbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click on the email. We'll also send you a neat mini book, an ebook, some keys on how to pray for America. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to David in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, my friend, Dr. Brown. Hey, man. Uh, so glad what you do. So glad to have you on my show uh, at the one time. And, uh, you know, this is a subject I'm passionate about. You know, I'm, I've, God called me as a pastor. Uh, while I'm far from the perfect one, and I'm, and I just want to let everybody know, I don't think I have everything 100% right. But I've been sounding this alarm along with you for years now as I see this decline. And I believe a couple of reasons why we're seeing this uh, decline in America is, one, we've watered down and compromised what it means to be saved first and foremost. So we have uh, people stepping up into pastor pastoral roles without the fruits of a true, truly converted person. Uh, and another reason, you know, you probably know this, that we, in our seminaries, people go in and they leave with no faith. Mm. You know, or they leave, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they go in there with the role of, of being a pastor. I just heard um, a recent statistic, that, or a heard fact that, for instance, the head of the Harvard Seminary is an atheist of all things. So, so we're not equipping people to be pastors 
uh, when they go to the seminaries, uh, they're coming out with anything but a biblical worldview. Donald Trott and I know from books, and my wife was doing her master's in pa- uh, pastoral counseling, and they, they made this point. And the bottom line is we've compromised on God's holy standards. Right? It's not my standard. It's not your standard. It's what does the Scriptures tell us yep. what a leader should be like? Obviously Jesus, right? Obviously we can go over to First Timothy uh, chapter 3 to read about this. So, so I think we, we've compromised in, in those two areas, and that's why we've seen such a decline in the American church. And when I say the American church, I don't mean every church in America. Right, right. You know, it's a case of if, if, if the shoe fits, wear it. And yep. I know this is uncomfortable for people to hear, but it needs to be said so that we can get back to the heart of God. Yeah. Yeah, well said, David. I, I appreciate it very much. Uh, a, few, a few comments on what you said. When Wesley and Whitfield were preaching in their day, they began to preach. Whitfield began to call out unconverted clergy. So, of course, there was outrage over that. But the fact was there were many in ministry that hadn't been born again. So that remains to this day primarily in the liberal denominations that don't even believe in the essentials of salvation. So that, that's definitely a, a problem. And then, as you said, seminary training. Now, it's actually the, the chaplain who oversees the other chaplains at Harvard is an atheist, not, not the head of the divinity school. However, if you will look at some of the famous older seminaries in America, famous theological seminaries, many of them have shifted left over the years. Many did it well over 100 years ago. So if you get immersed there, you will get immersed in unbelief about the Bible. Oh, it'll come with brilliant scholarship, great erudition, but you'll get immersed in that level of unbelief. The other thing is, if you go to a, a solid evangelical seminary, a Bible-based seminary, in some cases, thank God for the excellent seminaries that are there. I've taught at seven different seminaries in America over the years. But in some cases, you will get so caught up with intellectualism and, and advanced theology that it doesn't ground you in a way to really minister the fundamentals of the gospel to, to a lost world and to equip your people. And then a third factor, as, as you raise these points, a third factor also comes to mind, which is the desire to be relevant, the desire to prove to the world that we fit, as opposed to calling the world over to the kingdom of God. What's the use of me showing the world? Look at how worldly I am. Look at how carnal I am. Look at how... Look at how much I understand sin, you know. No, let's, let's bring people out of sin through the power of the gospel. And, and then lastly, the watered-down gospel, the, the carnal prosperity message, what's in it for me? Jesus died to make me happy and rich, and, and no, no preaching of the cross. So those are other factors that, that play in. Thank you, thank you David, uh, for, for raising some of these issues. I appreciate it, brother. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Scott in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks for having me, Dr. Brown. Uh, I just called in to say we're here in uh, the Research Triangle and got all these great institutions. Uh, our church, I'm watching, I'm 60 years old, been to church for 20 years, and I'm watching the turmoil the ultra-conservatives are leaving, and the ultra-liberals are leaving, and preaching the Bible, you know, expository preaching uh, is under attack, and mm. all I try to do 
I had breakfast with the young pastor who preached yesterday and just encourage him and the lead pastor on the word. And when they, when they feed us with the word, uh, is that's their job. That's mm. what we're there for, especially on Sunday. And uh, I'll end with this. The, the young pastor said, but you know, there's a concern in the administration of how we attract, you know, new believers. And, and I just sort of turned my head and said, I don't think that's, your job. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit does that, and yours is to pastor and shepherd and speak the truth in the Word, and that's what Sundays are for. I think Sundays are supposed to be for attracting people, more for feeding yeah. those that are believers. So uh, that would be my comment, but I, I am very proud of the church I'm at and, and trying to support them in this cultural fight. So, so, Scott, when you say that there's a lot of attack on just preaching preaching the Word of God, Where's the attack coming from, from your perception? A younger parishioner, or uh, I was born and raised Catholic, so younger members of the church and, uh, you know, under 40, uh, you know, the issues, the, the, the LBGT, January 6th was a hugely divisive yeah. Uh, yeah. situation that, that the majority of the church wanted the church to take a stand on and, and denounce, frankly, and they wouldn't do that from the pulpit and said, I remember Pastor Jay's opening comment was uh, something to the effect of, you know, God has no political party, nor is he American, right? So that kind of framed it for me. And so that's where I think it's coming from. So I've recently spoken with the youth pastors about, is there anything I can do to support you, to help you, not only with the youth, but with the parents of the youth, right? Because they have such a big influence in how yeah, can we true. support them in their uh, expressing and living out the word in their family for these young kids and teenagers. Yep, yep. Uh, very, very important points you raise, Scott. I appreciate it. I appreciate your willingness to help. What I would what I would say is this: if 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 I'm pastoring a congregation, and, and that's not not my calling. I only served as pastor for a few months decades ago when we had to remove the senior pastor because of adultery. So I stepped in as the kind of the next elder in charge uh, for several months until we got the new pastor in. But it's, it's clearly not my calling. I've, I've been a spiritual father to many people in the Lord, but I'm, I'm not called to be a pastor. I don't have that, that gifting. But since I work with churches constantly, have for decades in America and around the world, I can say this. If, if I was a pastor and I'm looking out at the congregation the congregation's getting steadily older, and I'm not seeing a lot of young people, and I'm not seeing a lot of children, that would concern me. And I would go to the Lord to, to seek Him to find out what's going on, because that's not healthy. That's not healthy for the long-term, multi-generational life of the congregation. It's not healthy because we're obviously not reaching the next generation coming up. Even our responsibility as stewards of the gospel within our nation how are we handing the baton to the next generations? Those are big questions. I, I would meet with the other leaders, seek the Lord together. And it might be that there are changes we could make that would help open the door to bring in a more diverse group of people. But I would never, ever, ever for a split second think of compromising the message or making it more appealing by watering it down, God forbid. So it's one thing to have cultural sensitivity. It's another thing to 
to fail to say, okay, if we're not reaching a certain group, what can we do better? Maybe it's just prayer and fasting. It's that simple, targeting that in prayer. The other thing, when you have something as controversial as January 6th, you can make a non-political statement. You can say, many of you believe the election was stolen, many don't. Let's pray together for God's truth. That's what we all want. And for whoever was voted in to be inaugurated. And let us together say that storming the Capitol is wrong under any circumstance. You can do that and make a non-political statement. And if people are offended that you speak out against the storming of the Capitol, those are not the kind of people that are going to be your long-term solid disciples walking together in the kingdom. All right, we'll take some more calls. We come back, and then I'm going to share a really interesting message from Charles Finney, real eye-opener. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know what Charles Finney said? He said this, remarkable words, that if you see a problem in the society, in, in the moral state of the society, the problem goes back to the pulpit. Now, now he preached this message in the 1870s. And America then was different than America today in endless numbers of ways. And yet, there's still some truth to that, that a lot of the problems in the society we can trace back to the state of the pulpit or the state of Christian leadership in America. 866-348-7884, Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Hey, welcome to all of our friends who've listened to us at this spot many years on KDKR in the DFW area. The station is making some changes with programming in the days ahead, but so you don't miss a single minute of this show. You can go to my Facebook page, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, or my YouTube page, ASKDR Brown on YouTube, and you can watch the entire hour starting at two o'clock central right until three. You can watch it live there. You can download the Line of Fire app on your Apple or Android phone, and you can just listen on your cell phone so you don't have to miss a single moment of the broadcast. Also, everybody, if you're watching on Facebook, would you take a moment and click the thumbs up button? Click that button, just post a note where you are viewing the broadcast. If you're watching on Facebook, click on the share button, help us get to more people every day with the broadcast. I'm gonna go to the phones in a moment, Getting your response to a simple question. What are you hearing from the pulpit in the church where you attend? It could be a mega church. It could be a house church. I don't want to know the name of the church or the pastor. I want you to be able to speak freely, all right? And, and I want you to be able to speak freely without bringing a, a bad report, because this is just your perspective, all right? So a bad report on, on an individual or a church. This way, you can just share what your own experience is, and you can, without naming the names, but... There are times to name names, but not when I'm just asking for your own experience here. But are, are, do you feel that you are hearing the Word of God clearly taught on a weekly basis? Do you feel that you are getting equipped 
to, to stand in this difficult, morally confused world. Do you feel that you and your family are getting grounded in fundamental truth that will help you be a disciple in this world? That's the question we're asking. Now, if you want to ask me any other biblically related question, talk to me about any subject under the sun, we, we may get to some random calls off topic a little later in the show. By the way, <clears throat> we've got some really hot issues we're going to be talking about this week. Not to draw controversy, not to generate all kinds of emotions and passions, but to talk through some really challenging issues about how we are to live in this world as followers of Jesus, especially in America today, but it applies to other countries. Where does patriotism kick in? How does that line up with scriptural obedience? Uh, to what extent is America, quote, a Christian nation? What about, you know, the American Revolution? Is there, are we nearing a situation like that? These are very volatile subjects, and it's like walking through a minefield. And pretty much wherever you land, someone's going to blow up. Whatever stand I take, someone's going to be mad. That's, that's fine. But we're going to do it together in a constructive way and also give you some really good understanding of, of issues related to abortion, how we can respond with simplicity and clarity to some of those confusing, difficult issues of the day. Before I get into the Finney sermon, which is a real eye-opener, let's go back to the phones and we'll go over to Samuel in Greenville, South Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. I'm actually just visiting Greenville. I actually live in West Africa. Ah, but, um, all right. I wanted to share your perspective. And by the way, I, I listen to your show. I follow online in West Africa. So great job to the team. But what, well, what country, Samuel, what, what country in West Nigeria. Africa? Nigeria. Okay. Nigeria. Well, yeah, that's one of the fastest growing Christian countries in the world. But the great challenge is there's so many Christians and not always enough teaching and discipling. But, yeah, we've got dear friends living in Nigeria and, and working there. So, yeah, very eager to hear your perspective from Africa looking at America. Please. Sure. And uh, you just mentioned a very key word in my view, which I think is really at the heart of this issue, and that is discipleship. I really feel that that really at the, is at the core of the issues with the church. If I, if I want to in America, but really it's not just in America, even in my country, Nigeria as well. I think there is there is a missing of the way, so to speak, because I think people are not grounded in the truth of God's word. I'm, I, when I when I um, interact with some people, your perspective on, for example, the inherency of Scripture is quite interesting. Um, some people are still trying to decide whether or not the Scriptures are inherent. So when you have those type of issues, at the end of the day, um, I think it will reflect on the, if I use the phrase, quality of Christians that we have. And so to the point about the message from the pulpit, I really feel that there isn't a strong enough emphasis on discipleship. I think that churches have become an event, you know, like a Sunday event, and you attend, it, it generates a great feeling. Obviously, you you will hear something from the pulpit, and hopefully you hear the Word of God. But I think at the heart of Christianity is, is discipleship. Even Jesus said we should go and make disciples. So if, we, if there isn't a great enough focus on discipleship, I think it will reflect on the quality 
of people, or should I say Christianity, that we have. And eventually that would reflect a broader society. Yeah, Samuel, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And we've often said that we're producing consumers more than we're producing disciples. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like I pay for you to have a membership in the local gym to get in shape, and instead what you do is just buy really nice gear, you know, nice gym workout outfits and, and sneakers and things. That's wonderful, but that's not going to get you fit. So that does happen a lot. Uh, sir, in, in your home country, there is also, you have Christians dying for their faith with the various forces there, you know, from Boko Haram to others, ongoing persecution, often it seems the government looking the other way. But then you also have churches that have preached a very compromised a prosperity gospel, a superficial gospel. From your perspective in Nigeria, how much is that a problem within your own country? And that, of course, comes from America. It's, it's, it's the same problem. At yeah. the end of the day, I think it's all about discipleship. What are you thought? What is your expectation of Christianity? So, for example, you use the phrase, even though I generally don't like to use it, prosperity gospel. But the point is, some people have turned God into an ATM. Yep. And he's simply supposed to solve your problems. But um, I recall a message preached in, my, in the church I attended here. In, actually, I was in Georgia two weeks ago. So you know, I, I, it was a great message. And one of the points that the pastor made about... Um, Christianity is that as soon as you become a Christian, you immediately have a purpose for life. So it, it and that purpose you begin to um, begin to understand it as you you get into greater fellowship with God. So that purpose includes your family, includes the people you relate with. It doesn't necessarily always have to be one grand thing, but there is a purpose. There is something that, as you lay your life down, so to speak, for God to use, eventually, immediately gives that life a purpose. So I think that not everyone thinks like that as a Christian. Not everyone thinks like God is supposed to fix my problems. And so if he doesn't fix my problem, I get upset, and then I look for another fix and so forth. I have, I mean, I'm 100% with the message that God is there to support us, to meet our needs, to help yep. us, and, and so forth. But that is not the reason we are in relationship with God. We're in relationship with God because He loves us. And we we sort of reciprocate that love because we appreciate it. And then we live for Him because of that. But, you know, if, if, the, if the message is not properly taught, then it will reflect in the quality of people and broader society. So, for example, one thing I've observed in in America is that there's this thing about political parties that if you're I, I, I listened to one um, preacher I clip uh, a couple of days ago suggesting that if you're not if you if you support a particular party you cannot be a Christian and I wonder how did he come to that conclusion you know it's it's it, it, that is not our identity identity is always in Christ so if in Christ you cannot you cannot fault, you cannot um, support a particular um, wor worldview or ideology, then it's because you're in Christ. It's not because of that political party, so to speak. Right, so and, and yeah, and ju just to jump in, 
knowing very much the comments you're speaking about, which, which I interacted with myself on the air, obviously the point would be if one party clearly stands for abortion and one party clearly stands for homosexual activism and one, clearly, one party clearly is restricting religious freedoms and rights, how can you be a follower of Jesus and vote for that party? I understand the sentiments, and I've asked people some of those very questions in, in, in terms of how can you look Jesus in the eye and vote for a pro-abortion candidate? And their answers have always been, it's much more complex than that, and the other party has this problem and that problem and, and so on. But yes, we get very much politicized here, especially just with two major parties. And we can often divide politically rather than unifying around Jesus to reach a dying world together. But you hit many nails on the head, sir. I appreciate that. The fact of the matter is, if I understand the depth of my sin, the depth of my guilt, the depth of judgment hanging over me outside of Jesus, if I understand that and recognize the extraordinary mercy that was had, the, the unprecedented outpouring of grace where God sends his son to take our place, to die for our sins, and now ransoms us and redeems us so that we live the rest of our lives for him. Whether it's a, an easy life or a hard life, that doesn't matter. It's our privilege. It's our honor. If we live, we live for him. If we die, we die for him. And, and all the other stuff, the benefits, the blessings, thank God for that. But we don't live for that. We live because we've been redeemed from our sin by the Savior. Hey, Samuel, thank you for the call and blessings to you in the States and back in Nigeria. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you for joining us on the Line of Fire. Hey, I, I want to say something very important to those of you who are struggling right now. You are questioning whether the Bible is true. You're questioning whether God really exists or if he does exist, if he loves you or if somehow you got left out. Maybe they're emotional questions you're, you're struggling with. Maybe they're theological questions. Maybe more philosophical, intellectual questions. When I just said that we serve God regardless of how life goes, I understand that many times the way life goes makes us question whether God is really true. God is real. The Bible is what it claims to be. And you go through these hard times, and often you don't know who to go to, because if you air these things openly, it could scare people. You know, maybe you're a leader. If you air them openly, people are like, what, you're not sure? Or, or if you go to your, your leadership about it, they might look at you like something's wrong with you. So you keep things to yourself, and then ultimately they build up, build up, and you, you end up leaving the faith entirely or losing your faith. So I want to recommend to you or to someone that you love in that state, my book, Has God Failed You?, Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. When you order from our website, askdrbrown.org, when you order there, we also want to make available to you immediately, the moment you order, a message that I preached on uh, 
why many Christians are leaving the faith today. It's a real eye-opener. It goes hand-in-hand hand with the books. You can watch that for free online. Uh, we'll give you a link as soon as you order the book. So go to the website, AskDrBrown.org. The last thing I want to do is belittle those who are struggling or make you feel there's something wrong with you. In fact, I know many who have struggled deeply over the years, and I know some who have fallen away because either they felt they couldn't ask their questions or they, they saw so much hypocrisy in the church or they just got scandalized. And, and look, I've said for many years that when it comes to the, the state of the society, to, to, put, to put the blame where it belongs, that no-fault divorce in the church did more to undermine marriage than all gay activists combined. And when you have us today calling for morality, calling for holiness, calling for purity, and so many scandals in the church, whether you're Southern Baptist, whether you're Pentecostal, Charismatic, whether you're Catholic, so many ongoing scandals in the church, and then a compromised, watered-down message, it's no surprise things are in the state we find them today. I'm going to go back to the phones in a moment, but look at this message preached by Charles Finney, December 4th, 1873. I know there, is, there are many who criticize Finney's methods and message. I, I found him to be a tremendous gospel preacher, greatly used by God in revival with lasting fruit to this day. And Finney, Finney says this. Uh, no, actually, hang on. Hang on. This is... I think this is the wrong link now that I'm look, looking at it. In any case, in any case... Here's, here's what Finney did say, and I'm just going to quote it. Just pull up an article that I wrote here. Uh, Finney, Finney made this very clear. So this is just a, a summary of Finney's longer points. Uh, he said this, and I'm almost there. Yeah, the suspense bills. He said, if the public press lacks moral discrimination, if the church is degenerate and worldly, if the world loses its interest in religion, if Satan rules in our halls of legislation, if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. That's what Charles Finney said in the 1800s, 1870s. So the pulpit was more influential in America then than it is today. Yet, with still 70-plus percent of Americans professing to be Christian, and a significant number of those, maybe 25% of the American population professing to be evangelical Bible-believing, you better believe that the pulpit has an effect on America to this day for better or for worse. Uh, let us go to Jim in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Hey, I, I want to make it quick. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that I, I believe there's a lack of uh, evangelism training in churches and witnessing programs. Uh, to give you a quick story, I, uh, I was on a walk in the beach in the, the Outer Banks a couple years ago uh, talking to people, and you know people are from all over the country and sharing the good news. And uh, as I was sharing to uh, couples and individuals, uh, I, unbeknownst to me, a man was uh, just standing alongside, kind of listening to me. And then when I left the, uh, let's say, the couple, he came up to me and he says, uh, you know, brother, he says, uh, I've been walking and I've been on this beach for 20 years. 
nobody has ever come to me and shared the good news with me. And I, I said, whoa. So that's, I believe that's that's one of the big problems why churches are empty and people don't know the Lord because nobody's out there sharing the good news with them. Yeah, you know, Jim, for sure, uh, this is this is the church's business, right? Reaching the lost and making disciples. That's that's why we're here. And many times we become ingrown. Here, think of it like this: we first get saved, right? We're brand new believers. We get saved. We're still in our old world, right? We haven't come out of that old world. We still have a lot of the same old friends. We're hanging out in the same places initially. I mean, we're getting out of the really bad places, but but we're still in certain circles, right? It's new to our families. So we're getting to share with a lot of people that knew us and see the change in us. And they're hearing the gospel, some are coming to faith. But then over a period of time, as we mature and grow in the Lord, we're separating ourselves from the bad places and the people that were a bad influence on us or we were a bad influence on them and, and we got into sin together. We're, we're, we're hanging out more and more with believers. After service, we go out and have a meal together with believers. And that's all good. Fellowship is good. But often we get so ingrown that our personal witness now kind of dries up. You worked the same job for 20 years, right? People have heard you shared your story with some, and that's that. It sits there. They know you're a Christian, and it ends there. And that's what often happens, right? And in your neighborhood, it's like maybe you talk to your couple of neighbors, but then that's it. So it, unless we are intentional, unless we are looking for harvest, praying for harvest, sharing the gospel, equipping teams to get out, encouraging individuals to share the gospel— we, we will often not see fruit. And I've thought of things as, as simple as, hey, on the way out the door, right, it's, especially before things went so digital, this still works. Uh, on the way out the door, uh, give everybody, however many they want, you know, some really good gospel tracks. Because you still hand something to somebody, right? Or someone with a digital, just scan this code and go to this website to find out more, Right. And they, have it, they go to a targeted place to, to talk to them more about the Lord. But you just say, yeah, I, I, I want to find one person this week to give this to. The grocery store, at, at a gas station, in my neighborhood, in a place of business, at the school. I want to find at least one. And maybe say, no, I'd like to take 10 because I want to give to different people. But just encourage everyone on the way out. Hey, let's be thinking about reaching the lost. Let's be thinking about winning new people to the Lord. And, and having that in our mentality yeah, obviously, we're going to grow not just by our families raising godly kids and having families, right? But we're also going to grow, it should be primarily, by reaching those who don't know the gospel. Hey, Jim, thanks for the reminder there. And, and, and listen, for every pastor leader that's, that's listening to the broadcast today, I appreciate your efforts for the Lord. As someone who's not called to be a pastor— I admire your sacrifice. You might say, Dr. Brown, I admire yours. Well, that's because we're each in our callings, right? From the outside, it looks a lot harder than it is. When you're in it, you have grace to do it. But you have got a lot of stuff to balance, you know? Just faithfully bringing the Word and then dealing with pastoral issues within the congregation. And then the latest couple on the verge of divorce or, you know, suicidal teenager or beloved older 
member with cancer. So either you in a smaller church or your pastoral team, you're, you're dealing with all these things and then balancing budget and can we give more to our missionaries? We want to do more children's outreach. How can we do that? There's a lot to balance. Now you've got societal issues, explosive political issues, explosive cultural issues. There's that that your congregants need to understand so that they can not be pulled away by the tide of the society and they need to be able to train their kids. And it's got to address that. And, and then now we got to do outreach on top of that. And then if a lot of people get saved and there's discipling them, there's a lot to balance, which is why God didn't call us to be one-man shows, as, as you know. And, and that's why it's so important to evangelism, to have some really good, solid equipping evangelists within your church. If you don't have any, to pray somebody in. God, bring them in. If you don't have staffing money for it, just pray in someone, a member or two that really burn to reach the lost. And then as, as they're solid, they can start to equip teams and bring people out and just let that be part of the lifeblood. And then let us be a resource to you on, on the difficult moral and cultural and political issues and apologetics issues and other ministries. Let us be a resource to you. Draw on what we've done so we can support and help you. And for those that want to support and help us, hey, if you're a church too, put us on your budget. Put us on your budget. We're doing frontline mission work to the Jewish people around the world and addressing the difficult cultural issues. So go to AskDrBrown.org. Why not have your church add us to the budget? AskDrBrown.org. Click on Donate Monthly Support. We welcome you to our support team. All right, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of very important issues the next couple of days. Don't miss a single broadcast. Another program powered by the Truth Network.